The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. I am glad that you have joined us here on Spirit of Recovery. We've got a great program again for you today. And I want to thank you for participating in the Spirit of Recovery community by posting on the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page, by sending me emails, letting me know how it's going for you in your recovery and your spirituality walk. And I want to thank you also for letting your friends, your family members, people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other spiritual communities know about us here and uh, uh, helping us to broaden that circle of listeners and getting the word out here about what's available uh, in recovery. It's great to be broadcasting about this topic here on unityonlineradio.org. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community. We have guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. Our guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves and or work with recovering people, and sometimes all of the above. And the guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live, you can listen uh, via your computer, you can listen via your smart device, you can listen on demand. We've got lots of great archives. You can find those at www.unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery. I want you to know that the spirit of recovery is a welcoming place. So if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction um, or if you're the family member or friend of someone who has the disease of addiction, maybe you are in your own recovery as a family member and friend or maybe not. Maybe your loved one is or isn't in recovery. Whatever, it's okay. We're glad that you're here. Maybe you're just curious, interested about recovery, looking for more information. Um, we're very glad that you're listening and you're welcome to call in or email in with a comment or question for my guest on the topic of the day. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And about 33 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. Ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that walk keeps richly transforming my life, and it keeps me growing in ever deeper and richer ways and uh, challenges me, and that's a good thing. So I'm very grateful and delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you about recovery and spirituality and the wonderful variety of information and resources that are available today uh, in recovery. It's just amazing, and I love being able to bring that to you, to bring a variety of guests and open up possibilities for deeper and richer recovery for all of us because um, there's lots of great, great recovery, great resources um, that are available today. So, um, today our topic is sexual health and recovery, making the connection. 
Um, addressing sexual health is a very important component of recovery. And common sexuality issues, when they are not resolved, can make people more vulnerable to substance abuse and relapse. And when they are resolved, they can really um, enhance recovery and really support a long-term recovery. My guest today is someone who um, is uh, doc- has the author of the book, Sexuality and Addiction, Making Connections, Enhancing Recovery. My guest is Dr. Raven James. She is a sexologist and an associate professor in the Master of Health Sciences and Addiction Studies program at Governor's State University. She has extensive experience as a researcher and a clinical practitioner, and that experience has centered on women, HIV prevention, and LGBT issues. Um, she has worked in the alcohol and drug recovery field since 1994, and she uh, provide in addition to direct service work, she has done uh, work in training for professionals in the human services addiction professionals um, in that field. She's uh, had a lot of community-based experience uh, with case management, with persons that were HIV positive, people that were in recovery, working with them for risk reduction interventions and strategies, and again, working with LGBT issues, gender identity, and domestic violence, and more. Her book, Sexuality and Addiction, uh, Making the Connections, Enhancing Recovery, presents a broad overview of sexual health issues, and it documents the links between sexuality and substance abuse, and it describes um, how people who've been impacted by negative sexual experiences can find a way out of that pain and lead them to um, and how they can work to support long-term recovery. You can learn more about Dr. James' work at www.drraven.net, and that's D-R-R-A-V-E-N.net. So today we are going to be talking about uh, sexual health, and so there may be some of this that's, that's emotionally challenging. But hang in there with us. It's great information, and I got to hear Dr. James present uh, a workshop at a conference, and she uh, does a great job, and she knows her stuff. So welcome, Dr. James, to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, very glad you're here. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed your workshop at the the um, Addiction Professionals Conference uh, almost a couple of months ago now, hard to believe, but um, it was a wonderful workshop. You um, brought up the fact there, and I know this is the premise of your book, that there are a variety of ways that sexuality impacts both substance use and abuse and impacts recovery. So would you start out with some of the foundation of that? Uh, how, how does that work? What are some of the basic terms that we need to understand and the basic concepts to start to understand the impact and, and how a recovery can be helped by addressing issues? Well, when we think about uh, sexuality, I, one of the things that's important to realize is that as a culture, uh, our culture is uh, sexually ignorant, sexually traumatized, and sexually secretive. And so we grow up not being comfortable or knowledgeable talking about issues around sex and sexuality. And it's uh, apparent in our families, some of the attitudes that our families might have, religious uh, types of uh, messages that we may or may not have received. And information that we receive or don't receive um, in school. And so this has an impact on us in many ways, and not necessarily in healthy ways. Uh, I work off of a sexual health model that looks at a number of different components related to sexuality, and these include uh, sexualization, sensuality, intimacy, sexual identity, and sexual health and reproduction. Mm-hmm. Um, within each of these areas, I can go into a little more detail if you like. There's sure. the sexual health model that I work off of in my book. Sexualization has to do with um, the use of sexuality to manipulate or influence others. Um, things that fall in this area include issues uh, around rape, incest, sexual harassment, uh, withholding sex within a relationship. So, you know, kind of as a power play, how we interact with our partners um, to get them to do things that we want. 
Um, seduction is part of the circle. And even flirting, something as uh, innocuous seeming as flirting where we, you know, because it's one of the things that we do when we meet people to kind of get them, let them know that we're interested. It's like, how do we do that? I mean, that's part of doing that dance of uh, getting to know somebody or letting them know that we have interest or that we are receiving interest in return. Mm-hmm. Um, sexualization in and of itself is uh, most of the influences in that area uh, seem negative, and these are one of the areas that for people I think they can get into a lot of um, trouble with in terms of their experiences. I'm going to just go briefly and talk around each of the circles and then talk about some of the connections between them because I think we can understand that, well, sure, if I was raped as a child or as an adolescent or even an adult, how that could impact my ability to be harmed, to to be traumatized, um, to not want to engage with somebody uh, within a relationship or within uh, our culture. But it also um, impacts uh, our ability within a relationship to respond to a, a sexual partner, to be or to even be intimate with somebody, um, because when we've been harmed in a way that's so intimate as uh, being sexually assaulted or harassed or raped, um, we're not likely to want to open up to another person. And so, you know, when we think about that spiritual component, uh, being harmed at such a in, internal level, uh, we close down, and we close down as emotional beings, and 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 that's not a good thing. And Some people find ways to deal with that, and they find ways to recover and heal. But for others, uh, one of the ways that people can cope with that, which is not positive, is to uh, drink or use substances to kind of dull that emotional pain. And that can subsequently lead to uh, addictive behavior if a person continues to engage in uh, drinking to kind of anesthetize or not feel emotions related to some uh, psychic trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, sexual trauma that they've experienced. Uh, Again, that can lead, you know, that can perpetuate a negative uh, pattern. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so sensuality would be uh, the next circle, and sensuality has to do with kind of our physiological responses uh, to who we we are and how we relate to another person. Um, It also has to do with... um, you know, how we feel about ourselves, so things like body image, uh, the human sexual response cycle, um, so the, the ability to experience desire, arousal, um, and orgasm within a sexual experience uh, can become interrupted, um, but the human sexual response cycle is part of the sensuality circle, which is, again, if we're experiencing that and we're not having problems, there's not an issue, but if it's interrupted by um, the use of substances or inhibition that we feel negatively about ourselves, uh, we have, again, we always have to look at, is there an impact that is linked to why we are using or why uh, it might be linked to uh, kind of some emotional pain and why we relapse over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, skin hunger and fantasy also fall under that circle. Mm-hmm. Um, skin hunger has to do with the need to be touched. Uh, studies have been done on infants and babies in this area with uh, the touch needs. And we have an inherent need to be touched. Our skin is the largest, largest organ on our bodies. And so... Uh, being stimulated and held is a positive thing. Uh, so studies were done with comparison groups with babies who were held and touched and nurtured uh, with babies who weren't. And the babies who were touched uh, did better emotionally, mentally, physically uh, than infants who were not uh, touched or got those needs met. And I think this is a real critical piece for uh, girls and women as we develop. Uh, when we reach puberty, uh, there's a kind of a disconnection from uh, our our mothers and our families where we're kind of looking outside of ourselves. Uh, girls experience a big drop in their self-esteem when they when they reach puberty. They start to experience uh, feelings of disconnectedness, and so one of the ways that they uh, that girls can kind of 
get that need met is through external relationships. And sometimes that happens through uh, connections with men. And uh, getting touch is a way uh, that is those needs are inadvertently met. And for many women, and many of the women that we studied in our our research, uh, their first sexual experiences were connected uh, with a romantic partner in an attempt, uh, kind of an unconscious attempt to get those needs met. Mm-hmm. And so they got in a relationship and they were introduced to substances through a romantic partner. And it was amazing how many women uh, had uh, disclosed to us that they had never had never had experienced uh, sex while sober. Wow. So it's almost like that link got made very early on between um, sexuality and substance use then. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. and getting mm-hmm. and getting those touch needs met, and so the the person that they were uh, kind of hanging out with, connecting with, uh, relating with, um, was using, and then introduced them to that use, but mm-hmm. also was giving them the attention, kind of that attention, uh, mm-hmm. and some of the touch needs that they were uh, not getting met at home, they were getting met through another person, and and those those connections and those links were really strongly made. Mm-hmm. So when they were in treatment and learning how to get sober, uh, relationship discussions about relationship were really critical uh, for them. If uh, this was not even brought up or assessed in part of the intake process, uh, then clinicians didn't really have an, a good understanding that of of how linked this was to their relapse. So if they were to get out of treatment and go back and just being touched and being sexual with a person uh, could be a trigger to use if they had never been able to experience some of the physiological responses uh, with sex while they were uh, not using. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah, it sounds like, again, like, you, like that link was so strong that it, it would be that a person would need to go back and address Boy, what was that early linkage to be able to disconnect those, I guess, in a way? Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. And and then, you know, what do I have to do to kind of learn how to be sexual and experience those feelings without a partner or without that touch or without that external stimuli that is the trigger to my use? And so mm-hmm. then uh, conversations around, um, you know, self-love, fantasy, masturbation become important. Uh, for a person to be able to think about how, you know, how do I experience it, experience this in a safe way uh, where I'm not with a person and I'm not around substances that I can learn how to experience what this feels like without being triggered to use again. Right, right. And so if we don't talk about that and help somebody through that process, um, it can be a big link to why they go back. To the usage, because as women in our culture, we're we're very socialized to be connected to other people. Uh, there's that relational theory from the Stone uh, Wellesley Center in Massachusetts, and they talk about how uh, women are we are socialized to be connected. We're socialized to be nurturers, to be you know emotional, to be intimate, uh, to kind of have those connections. And when women experience uh, abandonment or disconnection through being cut off from relationships. It's a fertile, it's very fertile ground for addiction. And mm-hmm. so, uh, to, to lose a partner or lose that connection in, in recovery can be a very, uh, triggering event in and of itself. And that Hold means, on to that, that thought. It's, it's time oh, for sure. our break and we're going to come right back to that. Um, this is great information. My guest is Dr. Raven James. She's the author of the book, Sexuality and Addiction, Making Connections and Enhancing Recovery. And our topic today is sexual health and recovery, making the connection. You can learn more about Dr. James' work at www.drraven.net. That's D-R-R-A-V-E-N.net. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. 
Reverend Paulette Pipe's voice has been called mesmerizing, the sound of spirit expressing in soothing honey tones. If you're one of the loyal listeners who tune in each week for her program, Touching the Stillness, you already know the power of her meditations. If her programs leave you wanting more, purchase one or both of her meditation CDs, Touching the Stillness, her first CD, and the newly released Resting in Stillness. This latest CD combines Paulette's alchemic voice with an original score by pianist Kelly Hunt and will transport you to a place of divine peace. Enliven your meditations with Reverend Paulette Pipe as your guide and take her soothing voice and peaceful presence with you wherever you go. Get your copy today. Go to www.unity.org and then click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on Shop at the top of the page. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, our topic today is sexual health and recovery, making the connection. And my guest is Dr. Raven James. Dr. James is the author of the book, Sexuality and Addiction, Making Connections, Enhancing Recovery. And uh, she is a sexologist and associate professor in the Master of Health Sciences and Addiction Studies program at Governor State University. She is a sexologist, and she has extensive experience as a researcher and a clinical practitioner and a trainer of professionals uh, in the area of sexuality, and uh, she has focused on women, HIV prevention, and LGBT issues, and uh, she's been working in the drug and alcohol field since 1994 and supporting people in sexual health and in understanding that link between sexual health and recovery. So we're, uh, we're having a great discussion about some very practical ideas about how uh, when people address their sexual health issues, it can really support long-term recovery. And um, before we get back to our conversation, I invite you to join me in a brief moment of meditation, a brief moment to center in, to make that uh, conscious contact with your higher power in our Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax, to be aware of your self-present in your body at this moment. Allow yourself to relax from the crown of your head and feel that relaxation as it moves all the way through your body temple, through the trunk of your body. Allow your arms and hands to relax. Feel that relaxation as it moves all the way through your legs and your feet. And share with me this constructive idea. I am whole and well. I'm grateful for my sexuality. My higher power guides me to sexual health. I am whole and well. I'm grateful for my sexuality. And my higher power guides me into greater sexual health. And we take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I trust that this was an opportunity for you to make that conscious contact with your higher power. And now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Dr. Raven James. We're talking about sexual health and recovery, making the connection. 
And uh, what we were talking about before the break is uh, Dr. James' model of sexual beingness, and it includes uh, a variety of areas. And they and I wish you could see her model. It's a great model. It's a it's a circle of circles, overlapping circles, and there are five overlapping circles, and all of these together are what constitute our sexual beingness. Um, and uh, Dr. James has talked about sexualization, about sensuality, and she's going to share some more ideas with us about these other circles. But if you can sort of visualize that, uh, five circles in a circle, all overlapping, all part of our sexual beingness. So uh, she's talking with us about how they, what they mean and how they're related to the recovery process. So um, you were talking about... Uh, before the break there with women and about how important it is for women to uh, understand basically their own sense of self, I guess. Talk to us some more about, about that and about the idea of, um, of how women can get triggered in, in some ways by relationships or by that need to be in relationship a lot. Oh, sure. Uh, we were talking about the sensuality circle these circles uh, can also be downloaded if you go on to uh, Advocates for Youth, all one word, dot org. Uh, under, if you look under Lesson Plans and Sexual Health, the Circles of Sexuality Lesson Plan is there, and it lists a nice PDF of those circles. There's also a lot of other great information on talking about sexuality uh, with youth, and these lessons are readily transferable to people in treatment, in the treatment process as well. Uh, the connections that I've uh, discovered in the research that I've conducted and the work I've done with women in treatment uh, are very, very linked to sexuality and, and, and sexual issues. Uh, we were talking about skin hunger um, and the human sexual response cycle and the relational theory with women in general about how women are socialized in our culture to be uh, connected to other people, and oftentimes that connection can get disrupted if we are living in dysfunctional families or we grow up in dysfunctional families and aren't getting the needs met from, from our, our parents or our siblings or the social support systems that are uh, basically designed uh, to kind of help us develop. Um, and, and unfortunately, this is uh, too often the case today. People are busy in their their lives and they don't pay enough attention to their kids and and especially with social media today kids are kind of looking where you know where can I get those needs met and if they are looking in areas where you know people are uh, involved with substance abuse there's potential links there for for addiction to occur uh, for women who are and young girls in particular because uh, oftentimes with, with women, addiction starts at a really young age. And it, this is so true. Most, almost all of the women that we, we have interviewed over the years uh, described becoming addicted uh, as an adolescent or becoming involved with substances as an adolescent. And we know uh, definitively over and over again that uh, problems uh, occur, addiction occurs later on, more often for people who start to use at a really young age. And so adolescence, when a person is supposed to be developing, it interrupts the brain process and some of the social and emotional development that's happening uh, and can lead to long-term uh, problems with alcohol or substance abuse. Uh, so just kind of looking to get some of those uh, emotional needs met, uh, we, we look outside ourselves uh, to relationships and we defer to uh, the people that we're with. So if we're getting attention, whether it's positive or negative attention, uh, atten some attention is better than, than none, unfortunately. And uh, for young girls who are vulnerable uh, are more apt to become involved with substances uh, in order to kind of keep that relationship uh, alive. And so there's, there's a link there. And so if that is part of how youth develops, then it's going to be a relapse trigger uh, down the road. And, and so for the women that we have worked with that have never had experience sexual relationships while not using, um, being in a relationship and being sexual is a big relapse trigger in and of itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we don't talk about it in the recovery process, it's 
going to be a potential uh, issue for women as they start to reintegrate themselves into sexual relationships with other people. What are some of the practical ways that um, when women are in recovery that um, that they can address making, you know, loosening up that trigger and, and so forth? Are there some practical ways um, that um, they can work with a counselor or, or on their own or in their support systems? Sure. And I think uh, be, being aware of it is the the first step, again, mm-hmm. being aware sure. of the problem that there's a link to begin with. Um, and after that, to kind of finding safe ways to connect and being able to learn how to set boundaries in relationships, even personal relationships. Um, I know for many of the women that I've worked with, they have had trouble connecting with other women. Um, they've been, there's issues around jealousy um, um, and just learning how to trust other women that, well, all women aren't interested in, you know, kind of stealing your sexual relationship away from you, that we can find our connection with other women in a positive way. And so to to look at where some of the origins of that have come from and learn how to be able to trust other women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that takes time. It takes time to kind of get to know yourself, uh, kind of how do you read other people, you know, and that, that leads perfectly into the next circle, which is about intimacy. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how are we intimate with other people? Uh, being able to be intimate with other women, I mean, intimacy can be, we use the term intimacy uh, inter, intertwinably with uh, sexuality, where sometimes people say, oh, well, I was intimate with that person, meaning they were sexual. But intimacy is basically about being close to another human being and having that closeness returned. So in order for me to be close to somebody else, I have to be able to share with them. I have to take a risk, an emotional risk, and I have to let myself be vulnerable. But the the key here with being intimate and learning how to develop healthy relationships is not to be vulnerable to the point where somebody takes advantage of you. And I think that's where, as women, we defer to other people and maybe we kind of give away some of our own power by not... Um, feeling that we are deserving to be treated better, maybe based on some of how we were treated in our past. And so learning how to kind of identify some of those negative beliefs and turn them around to positive beliefs about uh, empowering ourselves, that we are worthwhile human beings, that we do deserve better, and that just because we've experienced bad uh, relationships or bad um things with other people, that, that doesn't mean that we ask for those or that we, we deserve them. Because sometimes the environment around us or people in the environment around us, if it's a negative or a dysfunctional environment, will tell us otherwise and try to make us believe that, particularly in an abusive relationship, one partner will try to use that to manipulate a, a, a woman to believe that, well, you don't deserve anything better than this, and then she believes it when it's not true, in fact, at all. And it takes a lot of strength to be able to kind of shift that energy mm-hmm. and shift that belief system uh, to a place where that we can be, be grounded in our own sense of self, that we are okay without somebody else, and find friendships that are close and friendships that are supportive. So identifying whether or not something is positive, or negative? Um, is it toxic? Does it make you feel bad? If it makes you feel bad about yourself, then it's probably not positive. And I think being able to kind of make those distinctions is one one of the big pieces of the path to being able to kind of recover from that and learn how to trust again, but learn how to trust somebody who you're not being sexual with. So it's a matter of like taking little steps, talking about little pieces of yourself and seeing what that person gives back to you. Do they give back part of their authentic self or are they giving back something that is giving you a negative impression of who you are? That's really a good a good rule of thumb there, it sounds like a good 
good guideline for that. What about sexual identity? That's another circle in the the being sexual beingness in that. Sexual large identity circle. is about uh, kind of who we are, um, our sense of maleness or femaleness, and who we are attracted to. And it's and it, it's an interesting circle in a lot of ways because some people think, oh, well, that's just about being gay or straight, and it's actually a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. It has to do with our gender identity. Because as a female, uh, I have aspects of myself that uh, my gender expression or my gender role are not necessarily connected with being female. When we look at gender role, it's about what our society has kind of attributed to our sex, our, our born sex. So if I was born female or appearingly born female and raised female, I'm expected to be a certain way. If I'm born male, I'm expected to be another way. And so if I step out of those gender roles for my ascribed sex, I can be stigmatized and picked on and bullied because of that. Our culture has very distinct ways of keeping people inside of their boxes. And just for an example, um, I have personally... uh, engaged in behaviors that are more attributed to males. I used to uh, play the trumpet in school and I'm, you know, I'm I grew up in the 70s and 80s and so gender role norms were much more traditional then than they are now and just uh had was uh competed as a bodybuilder and was looked down on by other by men and by women because I was engaging in behaviors that they expected that were more traditional for men to. And so people didn't understand that, and they treated me badly as a result. Um, If I didn't have a strong sense of who I was, that could have really contributed to how I, you know, whether I felt good about who I was or not. It was a struggle, and it's still a struggle today when I work with, with people to kind of own who they are. It's not about, like, what people expect us to do. Like... I can be whoever I want to be, and however I feel inside is okay. Um, Just because the culture says I'm supposed to be a certain way doesn't mean that if I don't live up to that expectation that I'm a bad person, or I should feel ashamed of myself because I'm not. Um, Another example for uh, women who don't have children, and it's a choice, uh, they are oftentimes shamed by their family. because they're, as a woman, we're supposed to reproduce and have children. Uh, and so, of course, well, you're going to have an excuse to be okay with that if you couldn't help it. But if you made a choice, then it, it begs the question, the societal question of what's wrong with you? And the question when we ask people what's wrong with you uh, helps to contribute to them feeling an, an internalized sense of shame when they don't live up to that societal expectation. Mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense. Sure it does. What are some of the things that um, that you, uh, when you work with clients, that you do to help them own who they are and be okay with it, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, if, if it's not, whether it does or doesn't meet the so-called societal expectations? What helps well, people one of the, to do that? Go ahead. Yeah, one of the things that's really important to do is to have a an understanding of what those gender roles are. And I like to engage uh, people in activities where, you know, they talk about what their belief systems are, what they believe, what they learned growing up. And so developing and designing activities that get people to think about what they learned, uh, because what, what I learned about gender and what I was supposed to do as a male or a female in society are going to have a big influence on how I act and how I react and how I feel about myself today. And if there was some harm done in those areas, having an understanding of what traditional gender roles are is important. Because once I understand what traditional roles are and the harm that can come from them, then I can start to learn ways that are going to be more healthy for me. Okay, hold on to that thought. It's time for a break. 
and we'll be right back. Um, stay with us. Our topic today is sexual health and recovery, making the connection. My guest is Dr. Raven James. We'll be right back. in a state of change, a period of transition? Perhaps you simply don't know which way to turn, or you want guidance on taking that next step in your personal or professional life. You can activate the power of yes with Reverend Beverly Melander. As a new thought minister and next step counselor, she knows how to listen to where you are and help you get to where you want to be. With 20 plus years of experience, she offers spiritual counseling and affirmative prayer next step counseling for your personal or professional life, as well as resume writing and editing. To learn more about Beverly's counseling services, visit beverlymelander.net. That's Beverly, M-O-L-A-N-D-E-R.net. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests We'll share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad you're listening with us today. And if you've just joined us, our topic is sexual health and recovery, making the connection. My guest is Dr. Raven James, and she's the author of Sexuality and Addiction, Making Connections, Enhancing Recovery. And um, she is on the faculty at um, the Governor's State University, and she is a sex, and she's in the Department of Health Sciences and Addiction Studies program. She is a sexologist and also uh, an addictions counselor. Got lots of good experience um, in service there, and does lots of training for professionals. You can learn more about her work at www.drraven.net, and that's D R R A V E N. Net. And also, she gave us another website called advocatesforyouth.org that's got lots of good information about sexual health and some downloads, and uh, so you can go there as well. So, uh, back to our topic, uh, Raven, before the break, you were telling us about some exercises that you use with people to help them uh, overcome any sense they have of, of uh, not feeling good about being who they are in terms of uh, sexuality. Uh, Tell us some more about that, how you help people with that. Uh, I think once once we give an overview of uh, what traditional gender norms are, uh, then having people uh, kind of identify for themselves how they feel they've been harmed by kind of buying into what some of those norms are. So, you know, if I'm a female and I've, been led to believe that, oh, well, I should be a virgin until I get married, or, you know, good girls do this, or or boys should do that, and I fall into those, and I don't subscribe to that, that can lead to an internalized sense of shame. So uh, once people kind of understand, like, what the culture says or what society says and kind of puts out there in terms of what those traditional norms are, then we then we try to have people identify for themselves how they've been harmed by those messages and uh, kind of process that, uh, talk about that within a group and find ways to think about, you know, where their strength 
comes from in terms of uh, by being who they are, being in an individual, how actually how that is uh, more is is healthy for them rather than uh, feeling bad about who they are for being themselves, being their true authentic self. Right. And, you know, this all has such direct relationship to spirituality and certainly spirituality we can define and understand in a lot of a lot of ways but what would you uh, say the connection is or how do you see the relationship between sexual health and spirituality and recovery well if we don't feel good about who we are as sexual beings it's going to harm the relationships that we have not only with ourselves and with the people that we live with and that we love and our families, but it's going to impact how we feel about um, our spirituality. It's that uh, I I look, I compare the sexual health model that I work off of to kind of a Native American holistic type of uh, treatment model where, you know, we have the mental aspect of ourselves, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. When you negatively impact one of those areas, it has a ripple effect. It crosses all the other areas. So if you affect somebody emotionally, it's going to affect them spiritually spiritually and physically and mentally. And so in order to heal and be like whole, because that's to me, spirituality is about being whole mm-hmm. and being authentic. And so if I am walking around um feeling badly about who I am with regard to my sexuality. It's like hopping around with one leg hamstring or pulling one leg up and hopping around on one leg, trying to be who I am when I can't function in a normal fashion that is the way that I'm meant to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. You told us a lot um, earlier in the program about uh, women and uh sexual health issues and impact on recovery how does how are men impacted by sexual health issues in substance use and in recovery men are impacted in similar ways uh, but with some different dynamics so if you know if we were going to go through the circles again uh, again when we look at the sexualization circle you know is the man the victim of sexual abuse or is he the perpetrator um, is, if he's the perpetrator, we want to think about, well, you know, has he experienced uh, some negative sexual um, victimization in his past that has kind of led for him to be feeling like he has to uh, perpetrate this on another person? Uh, there's some power differential that comes into play there. Um, oftentimes people have a really uh, knee-jerk reaction to working with uh, somebody who's a sexual perpetrator. So if I admit to you that I've sexually assaulted or raped another person, you might not want to work with me. And so there is a very big sense of internalized shame there when uh, we're working with people who are kind of on the other side of that fence. um, I think it's a lot, it's easier for clinicians to work with victims than it is to work with perpetrators. But oftentimes perpetrators are victims of abuse themselves. And so being able to be open to the conversation and have a little bit of understanding of what the power dynamics are and what leads up to that is going to be critical to helping them. And because it, it doesn't mean that if a person has engaged in a, a, a negative sexual experience with somebody else that they were the person who raped their partner, that they continued to do so. It might have been a one-time event, but it, it led to internalized feelings that they continue to use over that. Um, but it also, there are, also attributed links to that sexual identity circle with a uh, gender role and the feeling that, well, I'm a man in culture and I need to be macho, I need to, like, present myself a certain way because if I don't, people are going to say I'm less than less of a man and they're going to accuse me of being a sissy or, or, or weak or vulnerable, which, again, are traits that women have that we don't value. Uh, but then as a result the person is accused of being homosexual, which doesn't equate at all. Uh, so when we do that to, to men as a culture, we're putting down women as we uh, put down the traits that we want to value in men, but we don't value in women. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of a double standard, a big sexual double standard, a big gender double standard. Mm-hmm. Um, we expect men in our culture to be sexually experienced and knowledgeable. Uh, and, and, and I think this is particular with adolescents where girls are getting involved with romantic relationships and they defer to a man because they think he should know. Um, oftentimes men don't know. And so when they are kind of figuring things out along the way, they, they experience the same feelings of um, not being good enough or not being experienced enough and being ridiculed for not knowing that. And so there's this overcompensation piece that men have to kind of engage in uh, to be valued in the culture, act as if, even though it's a lie. And so it forces men into a position that they're being harmed, pretending to be somebody that they're not, even though uh, they want to be that in that position, but they're not there. So they have to overcompensate. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, it, it does. It's, it sounds like that, again, that sense of being disconnected from yourself maybe in a, in a different a way, in a sense, from the way women get disconnected, but it's still that disconnect, the, the lack of ability just to be good about who I am. Is that- well, men are, um, there's another theoretical frame that, that kind of helps, um, I think, describe uh, where men are, and it's one of uh, being independent and um, kind of individual that we expect men to um, be able to kind of pick themselves up and be independent of other people, where it's, it's almost the opposite of women. We expect men to be de- detached. We expect them to be strong. We we don't let them allow, we don't allow them to have their emotions and have that be okay. And so they learn to be uh, alone with themselves. And oftentimes men will find their disconnection with being forced to be close to another per- person. Hmm. And that's where they find their invulnerability. And so if they're in a relationship, it, it's this individualization individualization and kind of separation theory where they're okay by themselves, but they find they experience discomfort and and kind of a little bit of panic when they're forced to be close to somebody else, that emotional closeness, because that's Mm -hmm. what women are supposed to do. And Mm -hmm. so when they're kind of in that situation, they can experience a sense of kind of panic, like, oh, my God, this is not normal for me. I shouldn't be here. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And, again, substances can kind of help alleviate that discomfort right when men are in recovery what are some of the things that uh that they can do or that others their support groups or counselors can uh, support them in doing to move through some of those issues um one of the things uh that can be helpful is to help identify like what what shame is um and to kind of help them limit some of the uh, help-seeking or develop help-seeking behaviors for substance abuse, that it's okay for them to rely on other people. Um, they can learn how to develop skills within that, but that they're, they don't, it's like letting them off the hook in terms of it's okay not to know. And, you know, you're here to learn, and these are some ways that you can do it. So... Uh, male clients who might feel threatened or uncomfortable with the help-seeking process, you know, might want to consider spending some time talking with uh, uh, about neutral kind of topics that aren't as close, so things that are less threatening. Um, Activity-based approaches are really um, helpful to use with men because Men are acculturalized to kind of sit around and talk about their problems, but they'll do it when they're playing sports or, you know, watching a sports game or engaging in uh, fishing or some type of activity where they're doing something. Like men are more doers, so when they're doing things, they feel a little more comfortable uh, kind of sharing with their with their compadres. And so I think taking those types of approaches and treatment can be helpful in, help in, in getting men to open up a little bit about what's going on inside of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. 
we're coming to the end of our time here. Um, what are some resources, uh, Raven, that people could maybe find online or others? Certainly they can go to your website, drraven.net. Um, what are other, we've got the other one that you mentioned, the advocatesforyouth.org. Any other places that people could go to get um, resource for themselves uh, in sexual health? Um, in sexual health, I mean, I know there's there's a lot of resources in my book. At the ends of all the chapters, I have a resource section for uh, online resources related to sexual health topics. Um, some of them are gender-specific, other readings, maybe some videos. Uh, there's a really good book. Um, oh, I don't have it right with me. Um, the Guide to Getting It On. Uh, is a really good source for learning about sexuality. I know I referenced that in a few different places. Um, And some of the NIH guides, uh, some of the tip guides for addressing uh, behavioral needs of men and some of the specific treatment needs of women that can be located online. Uh, If you look up NIH and women or men's treatment issues, there are some good resources there as well. That's the National Institute of Health, right? Yes. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. I'm used to all these acronyms. (laughs) Yeah. I assume everyone else should know them, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it gets gets to be like alphabet soup. It really does. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, what final word of wisdom do you have for us? And thanks so much. You've shared lots of really important uh, information. What final word of wisdom do you have well, I would have to say that sexuality is uh, from birth to death. It's a happy, healthy, normal part of who we are, and understanding yourself is the most important life-affirming uh, choice that you can make to be healthy and be happy and be whole and live to your potential. Thank you so much. Um, my guest today has been Dr. Raven James, the author of Sexuality and Addiction, Making Connections, Enhancing Recovery. Thank you so much, Raven, uh, for the work that you're doing. Uh, thank you for sharing with us today. It's great I- information and I know uh, very helpful, very useful for all of us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful holiday, and we'll be back next week here on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you 
create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.